Welcome to another week of I'd Rather Be at the Movies with Matt Donato and Justine Browning. Hey! Hope all you guys are ready for Super Bowl Sunday. I know we are here in Greenpoint. We're doing the preliminary work for our party tonight, and we do have a live audience with us today, so <laughs> if you hear random people coming in and out, uh, walking around, talking, being obnoxious, that's... Just random party guests, so but we're still gonna podcast anyway. We're so dedicated that we're working through Super Bowl Sunday. Not actually through the Super Bowl though. But it's <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. Right, the big day. Exactly. So, say hi audience. Hey. Hi audience. Hi. The audience no, too. You really okay. <laughs> you had to go with that joke. Okay. Tool. <laughs> anyway, so let's get to the movies. And the first thing we have sad news that actually just broke. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman has passed away in New York, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't really know how to react to this one yet. Just they happened. don't even know what caused it. They're suspecting that it could have involved drugs. We're not sure, but it's just kind of reminding us. We always knew he did great work. He's one of what's one of the best actors in the industry. But you can just think of probably ten movies off the top of your head. I think that Absolutely. he was phenomenal in. So I think it's. Probably this this tragedy is going to drum up interest in his work, and so we were thinking we'd probably discuss some of our favorite roles of his, and maybe some that you've missed that you should probably check out. Do you want to start, Matt? Absolutely, I'll start. Um, the first one that I kind of thought of and really comes to mind for his performances um, is The Master, mm. and something about his performance in that film just absolutely commands every scene. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix did a great job, Amy Adams. Fantastic. Everybody in the movie is phenomenal. Um, my thoughts on the movie are still iffy. I'm not sure if I actually liked it 100% and mm -hmm. can give it my full backing, but uh, Hoffman's performance as basically this Scientology creator kind of guru type, yeah. I you can't look away. It, he just grabs your attention every single scene, and right everything now. he does is it's unlike what other actors can do. It gives you the chills. It stays a with you. It, ma it makes you think of that whole story of L. Ron Hubbard in a completely new light. And that's just a testament to his work. It completely changes your view on certain things. Absolutely. And I think I think the best scene is when he gives that... Uh, what's the speech he gives? It's uh, basically all the naysayers are attacking yes. him. And he's in that party scene. And just the gravity that he brings to that entire speech. Uh, you're, you're watching it and you're just stunned. It's... Mm -hmm. He has the entire room speechless, and you're in the audience just sitting there going like, oh my, like, if you were there, you, I'd be terrified just listening to him just, like, rant and rave. I think the, the film that really affected me that he did, well, first of all, all of them probably, right, but Doubt, which was based on the, the Broadway play, and it stars Meryl Streep, uh, him, and Amy Adams, and... That story is about a young um, African-American boy, the only African-American boy at an elementary school who a young nun, played by Amy Adams, suspects that this young boy may have been molested by the priest, the main priest at the school, the most popular priest at the school, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And the whole movie, you just don't know. The same with the play. You just have no idea if, if he actually committed this horrible act. And he does this role so well that you, you A, have no clue if he's done it or not, but you really feel such sympathy for him. You feel his pain. And each scene you're just looking forward to. What kind of, even just the dialogue. It's not like there's any chase sequences in this or anything that shocking, but you're constantly on the edge of your seat just waiting for the next time he's going to have a conversation with someone. And I think that's just 
one of the one of the greatest things about this film is you're you're on the edge of your seat based on dialogue alone. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go with another weirder pick. Um, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie. It's called uh, Schenectady. I hope I'm saying it right too. <laughs> Schenectady, New York. A lot of people haven't seen that he one. Pl he plays a man, Caden uh, Cotard, I think. Cotard, however you pronounce it. <laughs> but he plays a man that creates a replica of New York City in a warehouse, and it's like his artistic project. But it's you know it's a Kaufman film, so it's absolutely mm -hmm. out there. But again. It's a film that not a lot of people saw, and didn't really get a lot of attention, Even and it should have, even though um, it's a more out-there concept. But what Philip Seymour Hoffman does, again, is he just absolutely blows you away, just in the immersion of himself in this character. Um, and I, I'm not sure which is actually better, the direction or uh, Hoffman's work in the film, but there's not, I, I, it's, it's everything he does right. You watch the role, and it's every sentence, every line he delivers is just so wonderful. And the other thing too is like you forget all the movies that he's actually right. in. Like you just kind of like Twister, I, right? You looked at exactly Boogie like nights. movies like Twister, movies like you know you look at like Charlie Wilson's War or mm -hmm. Pirate. Ray. I I love Money Pirate. Ball. Ray. Money I love Ball. Moneyball. Moneyball. His just portray portrayal of art. How yeah. he was in it. How many seats? Not many scenes, but he absolutely nails it every time. And not many other actors can do that nowadays. Of, Consistently, I think. One of my favorite movies of his that I am so mad not enough people saw is called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And well, I love that movie. Yeah. It's such, and the plot is a little bit tricky, so bear with me here. But the whole concept is that Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's mar is married to Marissa Tomei in the film, who's absolutely in love with her, wants to give her the life that she desires, the lavish life that she desires. <clears throat> He's kind of running low on money. So he decides to rob his parents' jewelry store, um, to rob a mom-and-pop operation, literally. And he gets his younger brother, who's desperate for money, played by Ethan Hawke, who's taking care of his, his daughter and you know trying to support his ex-wife. He gets him and the second guy to carry out this robbery, and it goes tragically wrong. And we just see the eroding of one man throughout this movie, and again, the character's heavily dependent on drugs. The character's in love with somebody who's not in love with him. Um, he's he's absolutely um, horrifying in this role. He's so conflicted. Um, by the end scene, you're just exhausted, you know. But it's one of those movies that completely stays with you again. And yeah, you know, you just think back like Boogie Nights, such oh, an iconic God. turn from him. And mm -hmm. again, he wasn't—he was a main character, yes. But right. the support where he does, it, you know. The man can do it all, and it's really, it's tragic that he passed away, obviously. It's tragic anytime somebody passes right. away, and it just makes it a little sadder that stories are coming out, and it's more focused on, you know, the drugs and how right. he died, right. instead of, you know, him dying in the first place. I mean, mm -hmm. that's tragic enough, and it's, you know, I just hope people do remember that, you know, we lost a great actor and not that somebody overdosed or something like that. Like, that shouldn't be what you remember. Then one more I think we should mention, 25th Hour. Yeah. Again, another movie, extremely underrated, I think. It's something that people are still discovering. And it's uh, Ed Norton's character is about to go to prison for seven years, and it's basically the last day that he has of freedom. And he, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of his close friends, and he's a teacher who's in love with one of his students. A lot of, uh, he plays kind of like this boring average Joe, but we learn there's a lot more to him under the surface. But again, another great movie to check out this week. 
And I mean, this now does beg the question, you know, what happens to the Hunger Games? Because unfortunately we lost Paul Walker last year yeah. and Fast and Furious had to do a little scrambling and yes. it sounds like they have everything under control now. But again, the Hunger Games have invested in Philip Seymour Hoffman. He is a character. Yeah. He's one of the major characters and he's going to be, or he was going to be recurring. Right. So now you have to think, how are they going to work around that? Because the problem is the Hunger Games is already a book. If you're making a series, that's fine. Because you can kind of work around, like, mm -hmm. characters and stuff like that. You can work around that because it's your own creative choice. Right. But they can't really remove a character because he's been in the book. It's like, you know, fans are going right. to go crazy that's if a there's really no good character. Point. <clears throat> so we're trying not to think sure. how they've yeah. worked around this in the past. <clears throat> Harry I mean, Potter um, with uh, Dumbledore. He died mid, uh, yeah, mid, um... Oh, that's right, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was, they had an original... Guy cast and for like mm -hmm. the first two, I think it was. Yeah. Mm. And they had to recast him along the way. And that, and that went pretty seamlessly. I mean, it happens, unfortunately. It's one of those things that... The Imaginarium just... of Dr. Parnassus. Oh, oh yeah. Because they worked around it because they brought in three other actors. Right, and, and it worked so well. Keith Ledger's character yeah. was able to just be not be different Heath Ledger. Yeah, exactly. Of he didn't have character. to be Heath Ledger. And that's what I'm saying. When you're creating a movie... Right that's not based on a book or something like, you know, source material, you can do that. You can deal with oh, things yeah, and like work in around a, the story. So the it'll, Matrix, it'll be interesting. The Matrix sequels, the Oracle, they were just able to say, oh, she changed her human form. Exactly. Yeah, no, she did. <laughs> I think sci-fi is the easiest genre mm -hmm. to work with that because yeah. you can just kind of change people all the time. Mm -hmm. But so let's talk about happier things. Because yes, I'm, happier things. I'm, I'm really sad. down. You can tell it's just such a somber conversation. Anyway, um, but yes, have your things. You had fun last night. I did. I went to the Writers Guild Awards on the Aww. East Coast. They were broadcasting simultaneously in LA and New York. And uh, I got to talk to three amazing writers. Danny Strong, who wrote The Butler and a number of other movies, political-themed movies. Um, and I just got to chat with him about the process of working with Lee Daniels after he had written the script to sort of develop the story more. And we also talked about what kind of he took away from watching the movie once it was put together. So it's one thing to write something, and then when you are now an audience member seeing it, um, seeing it with the actors, seeing how the images came together, I think that must be a really interesting thing. So we talked about that, and I was saying to him that for me, The Butler is really a movie that shows how far we've come as a, as a nation, right? Um, we see how during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, African Americans couldn't sit at the same lunch counter as white people without getting spit on. Mm -hmm. And then by 2008, we see that an African American president is in the White House. And I said, that was my thing that I took away from it. And he said, you know, that was exactly what I was trying to capture. And that was exactly what I thought when I saw the movie, that it, that it came together well. Um, another person I talked to was Terrence Winter, who wrote many episodes so of The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. And he also is nominated for an Oscar for writing the screenplay for Wolf of Wall Street. And I did say, how does it feel to have written the script with the most F-words of any movie in history? And he was like, it's fantastic. <laughs> He's breaking ground. Um, you will be able to see these interviews on We Got This Covered this week, by the way. And I think all of the writers were so gracious. Um, and yeah, Terrence also talked about because you know, I asked him, what did you learn on The Sopranos that you ended up using on Boardwalk Empire that you found was indispensable to, to uh, working on that show? He said, everything I learned, I learned on The Sopranos. Um, and an interesting thing he it's said about... It's a good about, place to learn. Yeah, it's a good place <laughs> to learn everything you know. 
But he said that the F word uh, types itself, like when he hits space, there's just the F word. <laughs> so it's not surprising that his film script has the most F words. Another person I talked to was Joe Weisberg, the creator of The Americans. This is a show on FX that I feel is super underrated. Um, it's going to gain more momentum and traction soon. Season two is premiering at the end of this month. But for anybody who's not familiar with it, because I don't think too many people are, the concept is essentially that two Russians are trained in the 60s and 70s to come over to the U.S. and be spies. They have a, they're paired together as a married couple. They have children and raise them and live in the suburbs of D.C. as part of their cover. Um, they're played by Matthew Reese and Kerry Russell. And this is a true thing that was actually happening in the U.S. for quite some time, that there were suburban couples who had children as part of their cover and were actually Russian spies. It's very chilling. And Joe Weisberg is a former, uh, was a former member of the CIA, the creator who wrote this. And uh, the concept is that when they get over here and start uh, living the American life and, you know, the facade of the American dream, the husband uh, starts to really assimilate into American culture a little too easily. He comes from post-World War Russia. He is loving the cars. The air conditioning is fascinating to him. He tries on cowboy boots in the store. He loves the children that they've raised together. He loves his fake wife. Problem. She is Mother Russia till the end. And that poses some problems. So, uh, so yeah, so you, the, the line between the work that they do and the fake life, life that they live and where emotions turn real, real and where they're not uh, is really fascinating, and the actors get to play different characters each episode with different disguises and seduce and uh, uh, trick people into doing all kinds of things to get secrets, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And that's that the first season's coming to Blu-ray next week, so. Let's talk about some upcoming movies. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go first? <laughs> Labor Day. Yeah, Labor Day. Uh, so happy I didn't have to screen that. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Oh, man. Labor Day. I'd, I would rather be performing a hard uh, hard labor than watch oh, this man. movie. No, Here I'm just Here come the kidding. labor puns. Have, no. Was it a laborious? <laughs> I think what's interesting is at the press screening, they were handing out tissues with they the, so the, <laughs> the film yeah. logo on them, and it really looked like a Nicholas Sparks thing was happening. And, uh, it's kind of cocky if you ask me. Like, you're gonna cry at this one. Uh, but I, but the thing is, we, my, I was with a friend, and we were just like, "What is this? I'm scared because I've never been given something that in, in a press screen that's like, here, you're gonna need this." <laughs> Like, Usually it's like a mug or a shirt or something like that. Right, or, like this is good. You're going to have emotions here. Here's And, and you're going to use these tissues. Fun I mean, fact, all right. What's, what's the weirdest piece of swag you ever got for a movie? Oh, interesting. Uh, an Annab creepy Annabelle doll from The Conjuring. Oh, you actually got an Annabelle doll? I did. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that haunted my nightmares. Where, well, I was at the New York Horror Film Festival yeah. a few months ago, and there was a movie called Contracted. And it was about, like, a deadly STD. So at the door, they were giving out contracted brand condoms. So I think that was probably the weirdest thing I've ever Oh, wait, been wait. They had penis-shaped stirrers at the Awkward is, Moment thought, premiere. Yep. Uh, awkward Moment press day. That's an awkward cup of coffee. That was, yeah. That was an awful. <laughs> Especially because I didn't realize what it was. I'm like, I need a stirrer and that. Oh, and it's a penis. <laughs> that's. Okay. I had the same reaction to the movie, by the way. Like, oh, oh, that, okay. It's a penis? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just more of a, what you know, it's something completely different than I thought, and I was 
disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't your normal stir. Okay, anyway, so you're going to talk about the movie well, that's coming out. Well, to be this very movie, honest with you, Labor Day for me, I enjoyed this movie so much. Well, well let's not say so much. But I, I think it was a great uh, experience. Experience, okay. <laughs> Meaning that there was a lot of unintentional laughter. I should say it's directed by Jason Reitman, and so a lot of people are a little bit shocked and they don't know what to make of this. But I think there's something commendable in the fact that he tried something really out there. And the, the whole concept of the movie is that Kate Winslet is, uh, plays a woman named Adele who's a bit of a hermit. She barely leaves the house. She's with her son, uh, Henry, played by an amazing Catelyn Griffin. He's a young actor. And one day when they go to the store for you know one of their meaningless errands, uh, a man named Frank, played by Josh Brolin, an enigmatic stranger, comes out of nowhere and basically threatens them indirectly into letting him go home with them. You know. Don't you hate it when that happens? Always. He's, he's wounded because he's just, basically you find out that he just escaped, he had appendix surgery, he's, he's in prison. Um, he got out for appendix surgery, he jumped out the window and escaped, and now he's in Kate Winslet's house. Um, of course, no, not of course, what am I saying? You don't even expect what's about to happen. Uh, he ends up being this incredible man who uh, fixes their roof and cleans their house and cooks for them. All the while the news, it's a, it's a fictional small town, all the while the news is saying, where is this dangerous man who committed a double murder 20 years ago? And you don't know exactly what he did. I think that was a really effective narrative technique that played out really well in a, in a film that was styled similarly called Rubberneck that no one saw in 2012, but it's a really interesting movie to check out uh, on iTunes or, or whatever you can, um, where you see images of something that happened in his past. You keep seeing these slight images of what happened, a glimpse into his past, and you're not given the full scene until the very end and I, I think it's interesting because you're kind of you just keep wondering what happened what did he do why why is he in jail for murder he seems perfectly nice I mean he's like so, most murderers like most murderers <laughs> and of course it's Josh Brolin so hey, I hate to say it but he could kill whoever he wants just I kidding. don't think that's how it works. <laughs> beautiful people can't get away with murder just because <laughs> But my friend and I were at the screening going, damn, we gotta go to prison and get some convicts. We gotta go to Sing Sing and cruise because this guy's really handy. And and Kate Winslet loves to dance and they're, they have all these scenes where they're dancing and everything's great. All the while the news is like, where is this dangerous man? Of course, yeah. Um, and of course he becomes this surrogate father to the boy. Um, you know, teaches him to play baseball and... Oh, and good old you know, American things. I mean, really. And, and he's just so wise and he's so nice. And did I mention he's Josh Brolin? No, and, uh And you just want it to work out. And you just... And also, you don't know Kate Winslet's whole story. Like, why is she a hermit? Why is she afraid to leave the house? Her hands shake constantly. And you also see that later on in the film, what exactly is, is making her that way. And it's, it's a really moving scene when you finally see uh, uh, what what is triggering all of that. But I think where it fails is towards the end. It's a very polarizing ending that to me I felt, hey, hey why not? But uh, I think a lot of people are just like, that doesn't make any sense and I'm out. But truthfully, the colors are beautiful, the cinematography is really rich, 
Um, it's so, it, it's a really welcoming town, this fictional town, as bad as it is because everybody knows everybody's business, but it captures small town life, I was going to say, that, that is a small town though, you know, that's, yeah. for anyone that has lived in a small town or, you know, my small Jersey town, right. everyone knows everything, you know, it's like, there's gossip. Exactly. You buy something in the store and, and the, the cashier's like, oh no, trust me, you're like uh, the little boy's buying a razor. It's a man's razor. And, and the guy, the, the cashier is like, no, your mom wants the other kind. I mean, it's so, oh my God, it captures that kind of uh, just people being so, so way too close, um, literally and figuratively. I just remember seeing the trailer the first time. I had no idea um, it was Jason's film. I had no idea anything about the mm -hmm. film, actually. And I remember seeing the first trailer and the part where Josh Brolin, they're making the pie together yes. and he puts like his hands yes. over Kate Winslet. I, yes. I couldn't. So it was here's just, the like, thing. Now people are talking about this pie scene uh -huh. where he... He makes peach pie with them. He's a, he's a, like I said, he's a phenomenal cook. And and at one point he like feeds Kate Winslet. Uh, so so again, it was laugh. It was you laughed so much though that but it was I don't, enjoyable. Were you supposed to be laughing? I, I don't, don't think. I'm not sure. But I liked the confusion. It looked like a Hallmark movie and a yeah, Lifetime definitely. movie just made a really awkward. Baby. I think so, but it was a little bit more high end than that. I think they were a little bit more inventive in the way that they they placed the camera and the way that they spliced together certain scenes. And I, I think Kate Winslet was really great in the film, and the young actor is really great in the film, um, and 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 Josh Brolin's great. I mean, it's it's not for everybody by any means, but we all we keep saying, oh my God, it's January. There's nothing out. I so mean, your thumbs up. Oh man. Should I go see this? Should I? You should see it I over should. anything else right now, and that's, even ride along. Well, we you know everyone's already seen that uh, fifty it times. It just won the box office again. Uh, <laughs> you took, know what I mean? So, so if you haven't seen Ride Along, um, yeah, that's all I'm really I'm really gonna say. I think I, I would say it's enjoyable. Okay, so I think an enjoyable time, an experience at the movies, <laughs> to quote you. Yeah. All right, well, I saw Lego on Monday, Woo! and I absolutely freaking loved it. I, I, I'm sure you did. Hands down, gonna be the best animated movie. I don't see anything competing with Lego. Like I just sat there. Like a little kid, wow. and I had like a grin on my face the whole time, and I it was yeah. I don't know I can't really ah oh, it was so happy it was just a happy really morning. no words it was so good no I I, I no have words, words. I that's but you're kind having of what a, we're you're having trouble I'm having trouble yes finding no them. number one it actually makes good use of the 3D um, most animated movies do but we see a lot of movies like Hercules and stuff like that that what? absolutely just destroy your eyes with terrible imagery but the lego movie looks absolutely fantastic because they were able to make the figures and the blocks you know it's all cgi it's mm -hmm. not actual stop motion but mm -hmm. it looks and feels exactly like they were playing with the little lego creatures and right. that was them moving it, it was seamless and it flowed beautifully and it was the, the texture everything wow. it looked like perfect honestly i couldn't tell that it was animation i thought it was the actual toys moving around and then you have a voice cast that's probably one of the best voice casts I've ever seen. Like, you go down there and you just start with Chris Pratt and you have Elizabeth Banks and you have Morgan Freeman and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's Jonah Hill's voice or, oh, that's Channing Tatum's voice and it, all these voices just keep going back and forth and you're just, oh, there's Will Forte as Abraham Lincoln for no reason. Okay, like, that's fine. But, so you have the voice cast. Then the story itself is weird, like, it plays to children in that the whole point is that Chris Pratt's character is 
striving to be how everyone else is. There's an instruction mm -hmm. manual Lego people have to follow, thanks to President Business, who is Will Ferrell, oh who's fantastic. Oh my god! You already sold this movie ten minutes ago. Oh no, I know. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, but the whole idea is Chris Pratt just wants to be um, accepted, basically. Mm -hmm. So he follows the rules every day. He wakes up, puts his clothes on, wants to go out with his friends, stuff like that. But he's so normal that he just kind of blends in and everyone kind of forgets about him. So the whole thing is he stumbles upon some crazy plot to, you know, thwart President Business who wants to destroy the world on Taco Tuesday and make everything completely uniform. Um, and he is a special, is what he's called or what he's believed to be, like a special master builder. And those are all the builders who don't want to go by the rules. And they just make whatever they want and they do. Nice. So it's this really warm story of like finding your independence and like being an individual and stuff like that. And then, so that can play to the children, which is great, because right. it's a kid's movie, but then the adults as well, like, I mean, here I am, like, a 24-year-old sitting next to, like, screaming children at a press screening for it was the Lego movie. Screening. Was it a 10 a.m. press oh, screening? Oh, no, no, it was 6 p.m., but no, it was oh, really cool, like, sorry. so, Sometimes you know. Sometimes they do that, when they put the kids in, too, oh, to no, give no. you the feel of, like... Well, no, it was all the guest pad, like, people brought guests, oh, and so, like, parents okay. would bring their kids to, to see it, like, right. that's who everyone brought to Lego, obviously, and then, I, of course, me and my other friend went, you know, we're both 24, we're just sitting there, just, like, having a great time wow. with the movie, that's but like it plays... Lot to the adults in the crowd as well, because you're kind of sitting there and, it, you know, everyone kind of struggles with that, like, midlife crisis every once in a while, and the whole individual, like, the special The two 24 year olds in the theater yeah, are like, I, that I was sitting crisis. there, and I was just like, oh man, like, this actually makes sense, because I mean, like, we've all worked a desk job, we all sit there, and it's like, you know, day in, day out. Leave it to the Lego so movie to tackle all exactly. of this. It was a deep and moving experience wow. with plenty of immaturity and humor. But, I, I mean, I think it's... I'm going to say it's the best movie I've seen so far this year. I'm going to say definitely going to be the best animated movie. And, I mean, definite Oscar contender. Can I say for... Lego's the best movie of the year already without yeah, having can, seen it? Can I be quoted? <laughs> <laughs> can I just throw it out, I out there? I already know movie it's trailer? perfect. <laughs> if I got to see one of my quotes created in Lego blocks, that would be oh. absolutely... That would be, like, the tops for me. I would just quit film journalism. Oh, but then who would Lego I talk blocks. to for this podcast? I don't care. <laughs> leaving you behind, and I wouldn't care at all. My review will be posted, and actually might be posted already by the time we put this podcast up. I can't really tell the time. Embargo, the embargo we're, dates we're trying and all to that. be good with embargoes. Yeah. Well, the embargo, it, it is now Super Bowl Sunday, so the embargo, uh, I think it was tomorrow, so we're okay talking about it, because you're not going to hear this till Wednesday. I went to a super secret screening of a super secret movie, and I can't say anything about it, but I want to so bad. <laughs> so you're just going to tease us and say how awesome you are, and... There was a really interesting movie coming out, everyone. Brace it yourself. might be controversial, and it might be with some... No, don't say it! No? No! Alright, fine. Sorry, I don't get in trouble. I don't want to be killed for talking about super secret movies. So, I mean, we also have coming out this week Monuments Men and Vampire Academy. Neither of us have seen those Both as of yet. have similar themes. I mean, Nazis right. in art, vampires in high One school. One stars George Clooney, the other a bunch of tweens, but that's fine. Yeah, same, same movie. Um, I'm excited for Monuments Men. Uh, I have the screening this week, so I'll be checking yeah. it out then. Um, well, obviously, we'll have those re reviews up for you, yeah. too. But, yeah, so I'm really nervous. We talked about this last week a little bit, but just, like, nerves about Monty and Spain yeah, because why is it coming out why this early? Why are they burying it? I'm hoping it's not being buried, and it's because there's nothing good out. So that's going to be my optimism So there. it's like, surprise, the only two things that are good is a movie about Legos and Nazis stealing art. God damn Double bill. <laughs> 
All right, let's talk about Blu-rays because we have a few coming out. Nothing really crazy, it's a but slow week. I mean it's another week. Yeah, it's pretty slow actually. Um, I'll talk about About Time really quickly. Mm -hmm. I actually ended up really liking About Time. It's Richard Curtis, yeah. and he does some phenomenal movies, and he's just really good at commanding human emotion, mm -hmm. and he's really good at delivering a story that you can connect with. It's not one of those cheesy romantic films, right. I, and it it very well could have been, because it's mm -hmm. about a time-traveling boy. I mean, like, that could have went downhill really, really quickly and got sappy, <laughs> but the way Curtis just, again, he makes a happy movie. I don't know, I'm... I'm gonna real like high right now with the whole happiness, but um, no, you can watch it, and it's a movie you can just get engrossed in, and it's really an amazing love story. I I'm saying that as a dude sitting here, 24 year old, but uh, it's a fantastic love story, and it's done in a way that Curtis always delivers. Love Actually, you've seen it over and over again. Yes. Like, I mean. I'm embarrassed to admit how many times I've I seen love Love Actually. Actually. I watch it whenever it's on TV, and again, that's Curtis's filmmaking. He makes a movie that you can watch, love, laugh, and then at the end you're like crying a little Quote bit. Quote 50 like, times. Exactly. <laughs> I, will, I will kind of say that I might have choked up at the end a little bit. Hypothetically, yeah. if you were going to get choked up, choked up over a movie, if I, it would have been this one, but you're not sure if you did. If I ever <laughs> was going to cry at the movies in front of everybody, it might. I admitted to you last week that I got choked up during uh, Vanessa Hudgens's "Give Me Shelter." So, uh, and then I admitted a, that I choked up space. during "Bad Milo." So, I don't know which one of those is a little weirder, but we need therapy. <laughs> Milo is a touching story about butt divas. Can we can we talk about that again? Can we just have a podcast where we I only just want to talk, talk about, about Bad Milo, Milo every week? But no, yeah, so, I mean, nothing really coming out well, in the theaters. You said all that stuff about about time, and I only have one more, one sentence to say yes. about Escape Plan. It's better than you think, which isn't saying a lot. But it's coming out on Blu-ray as well. So, hey, uh, you know, well, actually... It could have been good. <laughs> it came, came out already on Blu-ray, because it's Sunday now, but this is getting posted on Wednesday. Oh! we got to work on this whole time thing. I think that's going to be one of the challenges moving forward. It's about time. <laughs> oh, man. You and your... You're so punny. You are so punny. I think I'm going to come up with an escape plan to leave your apartment right now. <laughs> can, can we stop? Can, can you just stop this? Or No, keep going, please. I'm, I'm just going to give you Dallas Buyers Club. Go ahead. Make a joke about that. Oh, God. I can't make a joke about that. Exactly. You want to cry during a movie. You want to talk about that. Uh, there are no jokes or puns to be made about Dallas Buyers Club. No, there's not. And that is also coming out on Blu-ray this week, so if Just see it. We don't have to sell that. Everyone knows No, no, we great. don't have to sell it at all. Um, I mean, the awards are kind of selling it themselves. Leto won. Jared Leto, really? Jared Leto. Jared Leto. I mean, I feel like, yeah, he's already going to take that award. And that and that's saying a lot because that category for the last few years has been really tough. Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Uh, Oscar category. Mm -hmm. And he's up against Michael Fassbender, who, 12 Years a Slave, yeah. one of I the mean, most phenomenal performances of last I would year. love to see Fassbender win, honestly, mm -hmm. because I thought his work in 12 Years a Slave was horrifying yeah. and totally engrossing. Mm -hmm. so I, and you can't look at that man no. the same way now. No, and that's it. But it was funny because uh, when we talked to him at the press day, he kind of was like, yeah, but his character, you know, he's misunderstood. And it's like, not sure he was really misunderstood. You know, I, he was a. I understood what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. Just fine. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Well, it was Tying cool to see to his. Trees and beating the hell out of them. It was cool to see his take on it though, because he approached it in the sense that 
Well, you know, he was a white male in the Product time of slavery. Of time, so, yeah. he didn't have many options. But then he you compare him with... to Cumberbatch, and it, that's the one who I feel like... Cumberbatch's character was the one that misunderstood. He was misunderstood. Yeah, that's a really good point. He was the slave owner who yeah. was actually protecting his mm-hmm. slaves, and Fassbender was the one that was completely just, just demolishing them. Mm-hmm. I think because as an actor, you have to find something in your character to, to connect with, and it's obviously really hard to connect with a character like that. Absolutely. So, he probably had to find some kind of silver lining in that man's personality, but I didn't. No, but that's what makes it a phenomenal performance. So, I mean, Dallas Buyers Club, the if you want to see it, it will be on a Blu-ray, and that kind of wraps up the Blu-rays. There's also, you know, Death Wish, the 40th anniversary mm-hmm. is coming out this week, so there's some stuff if you there's want to check it out. There's a million dollar baby, I believe, anniversary. Oh, out the ten- I think that's a 10th anniversary, yeah. Yeah, oh my god. I, I remember when that, I'm dating myself here. Uh, <laughs> I was a, just a wee little boy. Okay, yeah. I'm getting hungry and I have things to do for Super Bowl. i got to make my uh, meatball sliders, so if I want to catch any game time that's gonna have to happen soon all right so i think we might have to wrap this podcast up until next time until next how time. do we end this one i think we just should quickly pay respects to mr seymour mm-hmm. hoffman because again it's a little sadder but should be addressed so it's a tough loss um i would have loved to see getting older into his career what he was yeah. gonna do because he's already put together such a catalog of films but you know you gotta take the uh good with the bad sometimes and i was actually looking at Twitter and Patton Oswalt has a really good tweet up right now. It says, Sometimes I absolutely hate this job, the Grim Reaper, when Philip Seymour, uh, Seymour Hoffman showed up. And I think that's, you know, that's Patton's way of kind of paying his tribute. But it, looking at some of these other ones, it really is kind of ridiculous. All the people, I, I, I hate social media, honestly, right now, because all these people are coming out with, you know, needle in his arm, blah, blah, blah. And oh, like, wow. no one's really discussing him as an actor. No, of course not. But, so, pay respects. The film industry has definitely had a major loss today, I will say Absolutely. that. Absolutely.